Father, we thank you that in your grace we are yours. We pray that our worship today would reflect our hearts of gratitude, of worship, of love for you and for one another. Thank you for being present here in our gathering today. We pray that you would make us more and more aware of your spirit. And we ask this through Christ Jesus. Amen. Share a word of greeting with others who are here in worship today. This Wednesday night is a uh, is a special night for our uh, uh, children's ministries. It is, uh, as you see in the bulletin, the annual Buddy Keith Memorial Grand Prix and sailboat races, and it'll be taking place in the gym. It is an awesome night of just you know fun. They made cars and sailboats, and they're gonna be racing them, and it's a great time together. And even if you don't have any children that are a part of it. Uh, Come and watch and cheer them on and uh, just enjoy that time together. It's a really fun night, and they'll be meeting this Wednesday for that uh, event. Next Sunday morning, again, worship at 829, 40, and 11. And uh, you also see upcoming events uh, as we move toward Easter, uh, Good Friday, Easter morning baptism, and the activities that will be uh, connected to that. Uh, also, uh, you see a number of concerns in the bulletin, and uh, we do want to give praise to God that uh, we've had some good reports. Uh, Linda Roth had a good report this week, and uh, Bruce Brenneman, and uh, Donna Hess, all three of them. And uh, so we, we see God at work, and we give thanks to him for that. We also want to give thanks for a new birth in uh, our uh, family. 
uh, David Si Yong Park was born uh, to uh, Jun Koo and Ji Young, and you can see his picture there that they sent us. And it was born this weekend, and we rejoice with them and give thanks. Everyone is healthy, and uh, we uh, look forward to seeing him here as a part of our, our family as we gather for worship each week. You know, I find that um, as we go through our days and uh, we, we, you know, we take in our income and we give out our income, sometimes it's easy to forget that God has blessed us so immensely. And one of the reasons that we take an offering every week is just to remind us that all that we have is from Him. All the things that come into our lives are God's blessings. And this is just one way of expressing our gratitude. So as the ushers come and receive our offerings this morning, I pray that this will be, uh, that these will be gifts of thanksgiving and gratitude because of the ways in which God has blessed us.
God has given us so much in Christ. And he's called us to uh, offer our words of praise and thanksgiving as well as our prayers. And if you would like to offer your prayers here at the altar rail, please come and join me. Father, we thank you for the blood of Christ that cleanses us and washes us, forgives us, sets us free. This morning we bow before you in humble adoration for all that you have done and in honest repentance as we declare our need for you. Father, we pray for the needs of our lives, the needs of those who are near us, who are part of us, who are connected to us. And we ask for your healing grace upon them. We thank you, Father, for the good reports that we've heard this week, for the healings that you are doing, and we thank you. We honor you and praise you. Father, we continue to pray for your healing grace upon Jeannie and Donna and Bev and Edna and Linda and Micah, upon Bob and Bill and Crystal and Emily, and for all the others who have needs that we are aware of today. Father, we we pray for those who are grieving today. Grief comes to us in a variety of ways, through a variety of circumstances. We pray for your healing and your comfort, your mercy in our grieving hearts. Father, we pray for our brothers and sisters who in so many places of the world face the threat of persecution, opposition, who live in an environment that is overtly opposed to you and to faith in you. And we pray that you would give them strength. We pray that they would know your Holy Spirit in a powerful way. We pray that they would see your Spirit at work. That our brothers and sisters would be encouraged in their walk with you. Help them to know of our prayers, our love, our support. And may what we see in their lives inspire us and ours. Father, we continue to pray for the families that are trying to figure out the the disappearance of Flight 370. The grief and the pain, the agony of this ongoing search and uncertainty. We pray, Father, that you will bring resolution and closure to this circumstance. We pray, Father, for the people in Washington who are grieving and recovering and searching from the mudslide. And there are other people in other places of the world who are dealing with disasters that come in a variety of ways. We pray for your mercy in each situation. We pray for your grace and power. Father, we pray that you will continue to draw us together as we worship you. We pray that that the spirit of the cross will be upon us in power and in grace. Father, we ask all of this. We pray all of our prayers through the mercy and the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world and the one who so graciously provides us with a model for prayer that teaches us how to pray and unifies us in mind and purpose. This prayer that we now pray together. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread 
And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Good morning. I know it's snowing outside, but good morning. (laughs) Scripture reading this morning is Luke 22, verses 1 through 34. Uh, And following the scripture uh, this morning, children may be dismissed for Children's Church and Junior Church. Would you please stand with me for the reading of the gospel? Now the feast of unleavened bread, called the Passover, was approaching, and the chief priests and the teachers of the law were looking for some way to get rid of Jesus, for they were afraid of the people. Then Satan entered Judas, called Iscariot, one of the twelve. And Judas went to the chief priests and the officers of the temple guard and discussed with them how he might betray Jesus. They were delighted and agreed to give him money. He consented and watched for an opportunity to hand Jesus over to them when no crowd was present. Then came the day of unleavened bread on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. Jesus sent Peter and John saying, go and make preparations for us to eat the Passover. Where do you want us to prepare for it? They asked. He replied, as you enter the city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him to the house that he enters and say to the owner of the house, The teacher asks, where is the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? He will show you a large upper room, all furnished. Make preparations there. They left and found things just as Jesus had told them. So they prepared the Passover. When the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table. And he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. After taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among you. For I tell you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, gave thanks and broke it, and gave it to them, saying, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. But the hand of him who is going to betray me is with mine on the table. The Son of Man will go as it has been decreed, but woe to that man who betrays him. They began to question among themselves which of them it might be who would do this. Also a dispute arose among them as to which of them was considered to be greatest. Jesus said to them, The kings of the Gentiles lord it over them, and those who exercise authority over them call themselves benefactors. But you are not to be like that. Instead, the greatest among you should be like the youngest, and the one who rules like the one who serves. For who is greater, the one who is at the table or the one who serves? Is it not the one who is at the table? But I am among you as one who serves." You are those who have stood by me in my trials, and I confer on you a kingdom, just as my father conferred one on me, so that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel. Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat, but I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail, and when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers." But he replied, Lord, I am ready to go with you to prison and to death. Jesus answered, I tell you, Peter, before the rooster crows today, you will deny three times that you know me. This is the reading of the Lord. What wondrous love is this? Just love is this that caused the Lord. 
Father, we thank you for your love to us in Christ. Open our eyes to see see Christ more clearly today. As we continue in worship and we ask this through Jesus. Amen. Please be seated. I would suspect that most of you have some traditions, some rituals that are a part of your family history, maybe part of something you've created in your immediate family now. Um, some things that you know are, very, are special to you in the way you do things and something you've carried along or something that was done in your family as you grew up. And I want to just take a minute uh, to have maybe three or four of you want to share real quickly one of your traditions. One of the rituals or, or something that was special to you as a part of your family. Anybody want to say, share? Corey? One of the things that we always did, uh, great grandma and then grandma would always read the Christmas story on Christmas Eve. Okay, thanks. Anybody else? Go ahead, Jeremy. Awesome. Yeah, that's right. Excellent. Connie? That's awesome. That's great. Anybody else? Well, you know, we all have these kinds of traditions. I was thinking about for myself. I remember you know, one of my favorite things as a child was going to church camp. I think it was primarily not because we, you know, went to services three times a day. I'm pretty sure that wasn't the reason. But uh, it was probably more because there was a snack bar there and, you know, you could just go and eat ice cream all the time. And it was awesome. And we had this little cabin that we owned on the campground that we would spend a week and play all the time. And uh, as a family, we'd go to uh, Reds games every summer. And now as a family, we got into this tradition of every Thanksgiving day. It started years ago when John was a toddler watching the Disney movie, The Happiest Millionaire on Thanksgiving. And uh, it's become a tradition. And watching the 51 version of Scrooge on Christmas Eve or the day before that. We all have these traditions and things. And I think the reason we like those and the reason we make those and gravitate toward those is because it's a part of the way God created us. Because when you read the scriptures, you see God telling people that it's a good thing to start traditions and to, and to practice rituals. And in fact, when you look into the Old Testament, there are many times, when, many things that God says to them, here are things that I want you to do. And some of, these, some of these rituals, some of these traditions are weekly. Some of them are monthly. Some of them are yearly. Some of them take place over the course of seven years or even 50 years. And there are, there are ways that God designs for people to do things. The way the sacrifices are done. There are certain rituals that are a part of that. And there is this, this uh, tradition, this ritual that's a part of how God helps us worship him. It's a part of what he's instilled in us. And when you think about the fact that we like rituals and traditions that, we, that are part of our history. And that God has created those for us. It intrigues me then as to why we struggle so much with traditions and rituals. Because I hear it all the time with people. Well, we don't want to be, we don't want to practice these rituals. We don't want to get into these traditions. And why do we struggle with that, especially in the church? And I think it's because sometimes the traditions and the rituals become meaningless. They become empty for us. They're just things that we do and we go through the motions and we're not really thinking about them. We're not really engaging in them. We just do them. They become obligations for us. Now, there is a place where duty is important and you do things whether you feel like it or not. 
But often we worry because we see it happen all the time that these things that are traditions and rituals can become ritualistic. And they are empty of any meaning. When you look at this passage we've just read, in the first two verses of chapter 22 of Luke, it says it was the time of the Passover. And what are the religious leaders doing? Are they preparing for the Passover? No, they are getting plotting to frame Jesus for murder. Obviously, the Passover is an empty ritual for them. It doesn't mean anything. It has no bearing on their lives. They're just going through the motions of this event And all the while around it, they are trying to kill this innocent man. And we wrestle with these rituals because they feel so meaningless. You know, as I was thinking about what these religious leaders are doing, it's like like the mafia don ordering a hit on his way to mass. You know, or, or Christians picketing the funeral of a soldier and yelling terrible things at the family members. Or leaving worship and getting into an argument with someone about who gets to use the church. These things that we do that God says are important and vital and significant become meaningless and empty. And they just become ritualistic for us. They sort of feel like, you know, athletes who... You know, step into the batter's box or prepare to kick a field goal or shoot a free throw and make the sign of the cross. It seems like it's just a habit. And we're not really thinking about it. I read a story years ago about a guy who became a believer and somebody said to him, every day you ought to spend time in prayer and meditation and reading the scriptures. And so he did. He'd go into his bedroom and spend about five or ten minutes reading the scripture and praying, meditating. And it became such a meaningful time for him that he kept increasing it more and more. And, and he loved it until eventually he was spending an hour or more every day in his bedroom reading the scripture, meditating, praying. And it was, it was just the most wonderful time of his day. And he had a, a cat and the cat loved it too. The cat would come in and rub around his leg and it would you know, jump up on his lap and, and it became very distracting. And so he decided he would shut the door, leave the cat outside the room. Well, that didn't work because the cat just stood at the door and meowed at him the whole time. So it became even more distracting. So he let the cat in and decided the only thing he could do was tie the cat to the bedpost. And so he did. Tied the cat to the bedpost. The cat seemed fine and he did his devotions. And as his daughter, she started her family, she was so impressed with what her father did that she spent time in her bedroom in prayer and meditation, reading the scripture. And she too had a cat and she tied it to the bedpost. But she didn't quite have as much time as her dad. It was just maybe 15, 20 minutes. When her son started his family... He wanted to carry on the family traditions, but his life was so busy and he decided he didn't have time for the prayer or the meditation or the the, uh, Bible reading, but he wanted to carry on the family traditions. So every morning when he got dressed, he tied his cat to the bedpost. (laughs) And, And sometimes that's what it feels like. You know, we're just tying cats to bedposts. That's all we're doing. But it doesn't have to be that way. Because it intrigues me that here is Jesus in the midst of of a people that seems like aren't really engaging themselves in this ritual of Passover. Here is Jesus saying, I want to experience this Passover with you, my disciples. And Jesus says, this is good. Just because all these other people, it's meaningless for them. It's not meaningless for me. And I don't want it to be meaningless for you. And Jesus gathers his disciples together and he says, this thing that God has created, this event that God has given us has power and significance. And Jesus sort of reestablishes it. And he says in the middle of it that this is something that we need to remember. That's really what he says, come together and I want you to remember. And that's what the rituals are about. That's what the traditions are about. You look at the Old Testament and, and God says to them, every, here are these festivals that I want you to celebrate every year. Why are you doing this? To remember. Celebrate Passover every year so you remember that I brought you out of Egypt. 
Because if you forget that, it will be to your eternal peril. And celebrate the feast of Pentecost to remember that the blessing of the harvest is because I've given this to you. And celebrate the feast of booths where you go, the people go in outside the city and they live these little lean-to-like things to remember that they lived in the wilderness for 40 years because they rejected God. And yet in the middle of that, God protected them and cared for them. When you celebrate the feast of Purim, remember that I rescued you from the, the Persians through Queen Esther. All of these festivals, when you come together, all the reasons you're doing this, it's to remember what I've done for you. It's to remember who you are as my people. And that's why I love, as Christians, why I love the church calendar. Because every season keeps reminding us about something of Christ. Advent reminds us of what the prophets say as we prepare in the midst of the darkness, waiting for the Messiah, for the Christ to come. And then Christmas, celebrating the incarnation, the coming of Christ into this world. And Epiphany, the revelation of Christ for all people. And Lent, a time to contemplate and and to think about what Christ has done on the cross And Easter to celebrate the resurrection of Christ and the power of the resurrection in our lives and the world. And Pentecost to celebrate the the birth of the church and of the kingdom, the bride of Christ. And every year we keep moving around in this, this cycle of the calendar to remind us because we so often forget. And every week we come together for worship to be reminded of things that during the week we are tempted to forget. We sing songs that remind us of the great truths of God. We sing songs that remind us of who we are and how much we need God. And we read scripture that often is inspiring and encouraging and sometimes challenging and confusing. But it's the word of God. And we come face to face often with scripture that we on our, by ourselves might just avoid or ignore or just miss. And we come and bring our offerings to God because we need to remember where it all comes from in the first place. And we pray together and support one another. And we come together Remembering that our faith is not just about me and Jesus, it's about us. It's the body of Christ. And we come and we remember. And Jesus says to his disciples, when you come to this table, when you come and, you, and he gives them the bread and he, and he gives them the cup and he says, when you do this, remember me. Remember. As we come to this table, it challenges us to remember who we are. It challenges us to remember our sin. You know, one of the reasons that we gather for worship and and we take the sacrament is to remember all of the ways in which we, we sin against God and against one another. The times when we reject God's, God's word for us and, and God's desires for us. The times when we go our own way instead of God's way. And the times that we hurt people. The times when we choose selfishly. All the ways in which we sin against God, against one another. This table challenges us about that. And it calls us to Remember. I don't know what the right word is exactly. I've wrestled it around. If it's, you know, sadness or if it's ironic or if it's, you know, tragic. That as Jesus is instituting this, the, the Last Supper, the Lord's Supper, the, the commun- communion moment with his disciples, it is surrounded by the sinfulness of people. Even his own people. He hands them the cup and then he says, one of you is going to betray me. And that starts a whole discussion about who's going to betray you. 
And the conversation, I'm picturing this in my mind, the disciples looking at one another and saying, I'm not, I wouldn't betray him. You're going to... Would you betray him? I wouldn't betray him. Not me, not me, not me. And that conversation from who's the worst moves into who's the best. I wouldn't, I wouldn't betray him. I'm his favorite. Well, I wouldn't betray him because I'm better than that. Well, I wouldn't betray him and I'm good. And I have this picture in my mind of this conversation and this argument going on all around Jesus. And it's just rising in volume and intensity as Jesus sits there sort of looking around, shaking his head, going, where is that? What happened? I've lost the room here. And he doesn't tell us this, but I imagine in my mind him saying, just stop. He says, how many times do I have to tell you? The kingdom is not about how, much, how many accolades you can get. The kingdom is about serving. The kingdom's not about how great people think you are. The kingdom's about how much you can give of yourself to other people. Just as I am giving myself to you, to the world. And then you move on to Peter, and Peter's, you know, Jesus says, Peter, you're going to deny me despite what you say. And this table reminds us, because we want to avoid the responsibility of our sin, of the need that we all live with. It reminds us of who we are on our own, But as much as this table is about us and our sin, it is most about Jesus. It is Jesus' broken body. It is Jesus' shed blood. It is Jesus. It's about Jesus who he says, remember. He hands them the bread and he says, every time you do this, remember me. And as much as, as, and as important as it is for this table to confront us about our sin, it is more important for us to see that this is a table of grace. This is a table where we remember that Christ has gone to the cross, that he has become the solution, the answer for our sin. And he has gone freely. That his, on his innocent, sinless soul is laid the shame and the guilt of all of our sins and the sins of the world. All of the darkness in our lives is laid on him. And in him we're set free. And ultimately this table is about his grace to us. It's about his grace offered to us. That's why John Wesley talked about communion as a means of grace. It is a means of coming and receiving the grace of God once again. And as we eat the bread and drink the cup, yes, we're reminded of our sin and our unworthiness. But we are even more reminded of God's grace in Christ that forgives our sin, that conquers our sin, that sets us free from sin. And it is an invitation of grace and mercy. Despite who the disciples are, despite all the the chaos around that table and all of the things that they are going to do in deserting Jesus and denying Jesus and betraying Jesus, he says to them in verse 15, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you. I can't wait to gather all of you together and to share this meal with you. It's the grace of God. And it reminds us that that the Christian rituals that we practice, the traditions of the church that God has instituted, communion is intended to be experienced in community. It is in our coming together that we experience the fullness of God's grace. You know, Paul talks about we have one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one loaf. That we come together and we experience the grace of God in this sacrament as the body of Christ. Because our sins are not just individual, they're corporate too. 
And the grace of God is not just for us as individuals, but as the body too. One of the reasons I love serving communion as we all walk to the front is to just see one another. And I love to to look at your faces as we come up and to see all the diversity of our lives and all the the things that we represent. You know, the good, the bad, and the ugly in all of us. And it's all about grace. And this unity of spirit in the cross of Christ that brings us together and unites us in Christ. Christ. Through the cross. You know, I've told you before that Cindy and I like watching uh, some shows on the Food Network. I'm not ashamed to admit that. I'm secure enough in my manlyhood that I can tell you I watch the Food Network. Uh, In fact, you know, you notice as you watch that, most of the chefs are males. One of the things that I've been noticing a lot recently in some of the food competition shows we watch is that there are, there are a lot of these, these guys. You see these guys, they are big, burly guys. They look like they lift a lot of weight, a, a lot. And, you know, they, they are tough-looking guys. they got tattoos all over them. I mean, they are tough guys. And they step up to introduce their food and talk about whatever it is that they've made. And it amazes me how many times... They start talking about what inspired them to cook and what inspired them even to make that particular dish. And they will often go back to a grandmother or a mother or sometimes a father. And some of these guys, often many of them, begin to get so emotional about it. And sometimes they begin to weep so much they can't even talk. And it's fascinating to watch these great, big, burly guys, tough guys, street smart guys, just weeping as they remember a grandmother or a mother and feel the inspiration of those people upon them as they create this food. And they talk about how every time they cook food, they're always thinking about how these people inspired them. As I pondered that, it struck me that that might be a really adequate metaphor for what we do at this table. That we come together and we we remember what Christ has done for us. And we remember who we are and how far Christ has brought us. But we remember more than anything else that it's the grace of God. And it changes us. And it influences us and it affects us. And it inspires us. And I wonder what would happen to our worship, our church, our relationships, our our lives. If every time we came to the table of the Lord, we we were thinking so much about and feeling the, the sorrow of our sin, but the celebration of God's grace. And remembering is not just in our minds, it's with every part of our being. It's our emotions, it's our actions, it's our attitudes, it's every part of our being. And in this table, God calls us to come and to remember with all that we are and to receive God's grace. What would happen if we came in that spirit and let God work in us as we are enveloped by his gracious, loving mercy in Christ. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gift of your Son. We thank you for your mercies to us and for the ways in which you Pour out your grace upon us. Father, you know our sin. You know the struggles of our lives. 
And in this moment, we seek your forgiveness. And we hear your words through the Apostle John that when we confess our sins, you are faithful and just and you forgive us our sins. And you cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Father, we come to this table giving thanks for your grace. We pray that you will pour out the blessing of your spirit upon the bread and the cup that as we eat and drink, we will know your grace and mercy. That we will be filled with your spirit anew. And we will be set free to live for you every day. We pray this through Jesus Christ. Amen. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread. He gave thanks to the Father in heaven and he broke it. And he said, take, eat. This is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And on the same night he took the cup. Again he gave thanks to the Father in heaven and gave it to his disciples saying, Drink from this all of you. For this is my blood of the new covenant which is shed for your sins and the sins of all people. Every time you do this, Do it in remembrance of me. This morning we are receiving communion by the mode of intention. This means to dip in. As you're released by rose, come to the front, tear off a piece of bread, dip into the cup, eat it. And then you may return to your seat by the outside aisles. If you'd like to stay, pray at the altar, you're always welcome to do so. If coming to the front is difficult for you or you simply prefer, we do have a tray of bread and cups. We'll be happy to serve you in your seat. Just let the ushers know as your row is released. And we also have some gluten-free wafers and cups. If that is an issue for you, just let me know as you come forward and we will serve you those. I, I always like to mention that we practice open communion at the Wesleyan Church. It might be the first time you've ever worshipped here, but if you come today with your heart open to Christ, with a desire and yearning for Christ and receive his grace and come and receive these gifts from our gracious, loving, heavenly Father. Save 
Please stand for the benediction. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Amen.